Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. This is podcast number one called Basic Terminology. I like to think of this one as basic germinology because it's a really good foundation for understanding some of the key terms that we hear in many different sectors. My name is Lorinda Becker, and I'm the host today, and we have Carol Calabrese as our presenter on this podcast. As part of the Diversity Hygiene Academy, you will have some slides on the topic, a video recording of the actual presentation, and also an audio recording and quick narrative on the content. There are many different tools for you to use to learn. Please feel free to sit back and listen and enjoy. A podcast about cleaning? Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. So Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. And I just wanted to kind of, as a start or a kickoff, talk about kind of things that I think about. Um, and I have a list of questions, but the first one I have is what are the levels of clean? I hear words like clean and disinfect and sanitize and sterilize. What's, what are all those words meaning? Good morning, Lorinda, and thanks for having me um, on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. So before we can do anything, cleaning is essential. And what that is is that you are removing soil from surfaces. Now, this could be soiling that you can see, or it may be soiling that you are not able to see with the naked eye. And then we move on to uh, sanitize which refers to the use of products that are used in many different settings. And they are designed to help uh, inhibit the growth of pathogens or germs. Then we move on to disinfectants. And disinfectants are designed to, it's generally a chemical, and they're designed to kill microorganisms or germs, such as bacteria, viruses, fungi, and then there's also the term sterilize, which we really don't use uh, in what we do, but that renders a surface or a particular, uh, I'll say an instrument, completely free of any type of pathogens that could potentially cause disease. Okay. <clears throat> That's really helpful. So kind of you progressed a little bit, like clean is kind of the basic all the way up to killing everything with sterilization, right? Right. And it's cleaning is essential to begin with. Yeah, definitely, definitely, especially if you can see the stuff. So, um, and, and then I, I've heard of a term of one-step versus two-step cleaning. What is that? So, Lorinda, the, the question about one-step versus two-step cleaning uh, is an important one. A one-step cleaning process is that it, cleaning and disinfection occurs at one time. However, with two-step cleaning um, process, you have to remove the soil load before the disinfecting process occurs. Mm -hmm. Some products are a one-step product, which means they that they are able to clean and disinfect at the same time. No matter what you do, you need to use a little bit of elbow grease in that process to make sure that you know, we're removing any soiling that may be present. Got it. 
Got it. And and when you use those products, um, I, I've heard of like a shelf life, and I know that some of these expire. Can you talk a little bit about that? For sure. And the shelf life is actually the expiration date. And you need to look on the container to see what this expiration date is. If the product is a concentrate and it needs to be diluted, then it's really important that you know what the manufacturer's instructions for use tell you because after a product is diluted, the expiration date can change. Some products might be, uh, need to be thrown away at the end of the day. Some products might be good for 24 hours, and others could have a 28-day shelf life or expiration date. It's really important that there is stock rotation occurring. So as you bring, get a new supply of your chemical, you bring those with the uh, expiration date that's going to happen sooner, bring those forward, and put the newer product in the back. Got it. So rotate your stock, huh? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So you've talked a little bit about cleaning and disinfecting. Um, now let's talk about what you're killing. Um, I've heard words like organism, microorganism. What's the difference between those, or what are they? Well, organisms are, you know, an individual animal or plant, and, you know, we as human beings are all organisms, and some can be very a single-celled form of life. And then there's microorganisms, which are bacteria, viruses, and fungi. Uh, not the fungi, but fungi, you know. <laughs> it's fungi may be the be best way to really uh, call it that. And some, you know, it, it's important to know we can't see these things with a with our naked eye. You have to really use a microscope to to see bacteria and fungi. And you know, somebody who has a draining wound, you might say, "Oh, that has a lot of bacteria in that," and that may be true if you get cut and you're out in the community with mm -hmm. with a draining wound. So. Wow. Now just keep that in mind. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I hope I don't have one of those. But um, as far as the microorganism, then you pretty much need a microscope is what I'm kind of hearing from you. Yes, yes. And I don't work in a, in a lab, but, yes, I've seen many of bugs under a microscope. Not so good. So talk a little bit about the bugs. You talked about bacteria, viruses, um, fun guys, <laughs> or fungi. Um, can, you, can you tell me just like a little bit, like what's the difference between those? So, yes, and bacteria is one form of pathogens that we see, and they're separated into what's called gram-positive and gram-negative. The gram-positive bacteria, such as Staphylococcus, live on our bodies, uh, every aspect of our body. Gram-negative bacteria, however, like E. coli, live in our intestines. Now, you may hear of spores, which are also a form of bacteria, but they are more resistant to kill. And as you're out in the community or in the workplace, you might hear of C. diff. That's called Clostridium difficile. And it causes a lot of diarrhea, and I'm not going to get into all the risk factors. Then we also have viruses. 
And viruses uh, are separated into two forms. One is called an enveloped virus, which is easy to kill, and that could be like HIV, human immunodeficiency virus, or HBV, which is hepatitis B virus. And also those are two pathogens that are part of the bloodborne pathogen ruling, which we'll discuss in a different podcast. And it seems sort of counterintuitive to somebody might think, well, a non-enveloped virus, uh, such as rhinovirus, should be um, uh, easier to kill than an enveloped, but it's not that way. It's the enveloped virus that's easy to kill and the non-enveloped virus that is not easy to kill. And then we deal with different fungi, which is a multicellular form of a pathogen. And a good example of that could be athlete's foot or aspergillus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or um, what do they call black mold or, you know, mold and mildew, stuff like that would be a fungus. Is that right? Yes, it would be. And that, you know, that can occur in several different settings. Awesome. Well, that really helps break these down a little bit for sure. Um, I, I kind of, you know, you've talked a little bit about resistance and spores and how they're super hard to kill, but can you give me an idea of kind of like that hierarchy, what the ladder looks like going from ones that are kind of easy to kill to hard to kill? Absolutely, Lorenda. Um, the envelope viruses are very easy to kill. So, for example, the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, that particular virus that we're dealing with now, is an enveloped virus, and it is very easy to kill. And then we move up to gram-positive bacteria, which would be Staph aureus or MRSA, and then up into large non-enveloped viruses, rotavirus, for example, which causes uh, gastrointestinal illnesses. Then we move up to fungus fungus such as candida, also known as a yeast infection. If you have children and they've had thrush when they were newborns, that's an example. Uh, then we move into gram-negative bacteria, which are we're moving up the level of resistance as I'm speaking. So E. coli, which is in everybody's gut and also the gut of animals, that's increasingly uh, resistant. And then we move into fungal spores such as aspergillus. Um, You may have heard of that. It's a very invasive fungus. Uh, Then we move into small non-enveloped viruses such as the polio virus, which everybody gets vaccinated for. And norovirus, if you've taken a cruise, uh, you may have heard about norovirus outbreaks. And then mycobacterium, so this would be tuberculosis, which is also a bacteria. And then the most resistant bacteria are spore-forming bacteria, such as Clostridium difficile, also known as C. diff, out in the community. Got it. Wow, you say those words really well. <laughs> um, so so kind of what I heard you say is starting with those envelope viruses are easy to kill, non-envelope are a little bit tougher to kill, and then you get into the bacteria and spores. And I think that's a really good way to remember it because, mm-hmm. boy, that's a, a lot of levels to consider. It um, is, and it is. That's amazing. So if I think about... Um, 
kind of bugs that you sort of can see, and I get the heebie-jeebies even asking about it, but can you talk a little bit about parasites? Yes, and everybody gets freaked out when we start talking about licensed scabies. Um, Parents freak out when they get this notice from school that uh, there's this uh, case of head lice, and kids love to share uh, combs or hats and things like that. Or if you have a parent or a grandparent in a long-term care facility, they might have a scabies outbreak. And then there's also script cryptosporidium, which um, can be uh, found in bodies of water uh, during the summer months. And so all of these uh, need to be treated with prescription medications uh, in the environment in which you're cleaning. Um, It's routine disinfecting for licensed scabies now Items of clothing may need to be bagged for um, in a plastic bag for seven days. Cryptosporidium, on the other hand, um, if you get an alert from your public health department that you need to boil water, it's important to know that when you're using your chemicals that you need to boil the water uh, for two to three minutes, let it cool down, before you mix it or dilute it with your chemical. Wow, that's that's good to know. I know that question does come up um, when people have a boil water, you know, because they think the disinfectant kills what's in the water, and I, I wasn't sure if you had to boil it. So outstanding. Um, so you, you talked about um, bodies of water in the summer, and the first thing that comes to my mind is a word I've heard called biofilm. What What really is that? Well, biofilm is an accumulation of bacteria, and they're really, you know, I say that they're tightly woven together. They have this sticky type substance, and that helps them to adhere to surfaces, and it makes it very difficult to remove. Probably the best example of biofilm is when there's plaque development around your teeth. So when you go to the dentist and the hygienist is really scraping at your, your teeth down near the gums and they, they ask you about flossing, um, you want to, you know, that's a, to me the best example. But as you're in nature and you're walking along a creek and the rocks are slippery, that's also a good form of biofilm. And we also see it in uh, the with what we do because certain products, when they're used over and over and over again, can also um, cause biofilm to develop. Okay. Um, Yeah, I I think about that on my teeth and that's just kind of disgusting, but I've also heard of it, you know, around sinks and different areas like that, um, which it is pretty hard to get off. Um, If you think about, um, back to your earlier statements, you had talked about um, tuberculocidal was a word I remember. Yeah. And I've heard words like static and things. What's Mm -hmm. the difference between cidal and static? So that's a great question. When you hear that something is tuberculocidal, fungicidal, that means that that product is going to kill. When you hear the word such as bacterial static, that means it will inhibit the growth of the pathogens or the germs 
that we've just spoken about, um, it will inhibit that growth. Okay. Well, that makes sense because I've heard of like um, static claims on, you know, paints and things like that. So it's just inhibiting mm -hmm. the growth on the surface the paint is protecting, right? Right. I would also like to add that in our solutions designed for healthcare, there's an excellent video on basic microbiology that goes into this in much greater detail. Oh, great. I might have to take a look at that. Um, so you've talked about the bugs. You've talked about kind of cleaning and disinfection. Can you give me just an idea of what are the surfaces um, that you might want to consider when cleaning and disinfection? Well, sure. And this is going to be uh, dependent upon the environment that you're cleaning and disinfecting in. Um, whether it's a school, a hotel, a hospital, um, it, it doesn't make any difference. You need to know what those high-touch surfaces are. So, for example, in a hotel, it could be the elevator call buttons or the buttons in the elevator where you want to say this is you know take me up to the floor or in a school if it's an elementary school for example it could be those desks and then in a university it could be um you know the the hall in which the lecture is being held in it could be stairwells the handrails and stair stairwells or the rails of the escalators um in airports or malls, those types of things. I use those to balance me all the time, but I always like to make sure that I'm doing hand hygiene after I come in contact with those with a hand sanitizer. Uh, but you need to pay particular attention to those because not everybody will use their elbow or their knuckles. Many people use their fingertips. And these high-touch surfaces are often contaminated with a variety of different uh, pathogens that we've just talked talked about. Got it. So contaminated, you said that word um, when, it, when you said they're contaminated with a variety. What does that mean? So all the pathogens that we talked about can live um, on surfaces, except for the parasites. They need their host. But the bacteria and viruses, many of them can live on all the different surfaces that we just spoke about. And then when you, somebody comes in contact with those and then touches, for example, their face, without doing hand hygiene, they have the potential to cause disease or cause infection. Oh, got it. Got it. So and, hand hygiene is important. Oh, you know what? I don't want to touch anything anymore. You kind of got me uh, got me scared. So all, all those um, things you talked about, the buttons and stuff, I touch them all the time. So um, and, and, and so when you do decide that you want to disinfect or somebody wants to go hit those high-touch surfaces that you referred to, I, I know there are different disinfectants out there, and um, I've heard words like contact time, dwell time, kill time, wet time. What are all those? Like, can you talk a little bit about what that means? Sure. And to me, some of them are really synonymous. What's important is that you know your product and you know what the contact time is for that product. Whether it's a 10 minute product, a three minute product, five or one, it's important that that surface stays wet for that contact time 
that the manufacturer's instructions for use tell you. And you need to know that that surface stays wet for that full contact time in order to kill the pathogens that we've just spoken about. So if it says 10 minutes, you need to, once you clean and disinfect that surface, if it's a one-step cleaner or two-step cleaner, that it is staying wet for that full 10 minutes. Gratefully today, there are some products, uh, new products that have a one-minute contact time. And, you know, again, you still need to make sure that it stays wet for that one minute. If it doesn't stay wet for that recommended contact time or that uh, 10 minutes, you have to go over that surface to re-wet it. Got it. So you're better to use a shorter, I would think, just to make it, you know, kind of a one one and done kind of thing. So That's my opinion. Right. No, I, I get it. Um, I had a couple, like, miscellaneous things that I have heard, and I, I wrote them down earlier, and um, one was antiseptic. Um, we talked a little bit about antimicrobial, but maybe expanding on that. And then PPM. I, I'm not even sure for sure what PPM stands for, but I hear it. And then efficacy. Can you just address those few words? Sure, certainly. So an antiseptic, again, helps to inhibit growth of microorganisms on a person's skin. Uh, there's a good example would be alcohol hand sanitizer, okay? Uh, that's going to have an antiseptic property to it. Antimicrobial gets brought up in conversations, and that, again, helps to stop the growth of bacteria. Efficacy means that a product uh, or products have an effect on something. We know that products can have a broad or great efficacy, which means that they kill a very broad number of pathogens. And then parts per million is another way of measuring how strong a diluted solution is. And there's ways to test for that as well. And then efficacy is, is really just if it's truly disinfected, kind of? Is that an easy way to say it or no? Uh, yeah, I would say so, yeah. Okay. And then just because of, you know, recent times, I, I've heard a lot of words about um, outbreak and epidemic and pandemic. Do you have kind of a brief way to think about those and what's the difference between those? So in my mind... An outbreak uh, is something that when you have a, a case of, say, something you've never seen before in your area, that even one case can be considered an outbreak. So, for example, with this pandemic that we're dealing with, when China saw the first case and it had not ever been recognized in humans before, that's an outbreak. A uh, couple years ago, we heard of measles in California. Well, measles hadn't been seen in quite a while, so they experienced an outbreak. And there were other states that also saw outbreaks of hepatitis A. Then you can think about an epidemic. And so within an epidemic, it's a much broader scope than being localized. So 
with an outbreak, maybe it's, say, in one state where an epidemic, it's across numerous states. And then a pandemic, you can think about the globalness of this, where it is inclusive of many continents. It doesn't have to be every continent, but a pandemic um, the will be around or in several continents. So the uh, up, up pandemic we're dealing with now started in China, then it was in Italy, then it was or in Europe, and then it also the United States and South America. And it has had a very rapid spread. So it sort of has had that passport because transportation, people travel all over the world with greater frequency today than ever before. Wow. So kind of thinking about an outbreak is isolated, an epidemic kind of stays within a boundary, maybe a country, and then the pandemic, you said, has a passport. So now it's starting to move between countries. That's a that's a great way to consider that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very helpful. Well, Carol, I am running out. Um, I'm out of questions. You've answered a tremendous amount of questions, and I know we have many podcasts to come covering a lot of deeper dives into topics. But I just wanted to take a moment and thank you very much for sharing your wisdom with our group here and um, and look forward to hearing more from you in future podcasts. Thanks, Lorinda. It's been a pleasure. All right. Bye.